Linux Out Loud is firing up our mics, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expound upon. We keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. This week, we're spouting off about third-party repos. Let's get into episode six. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. With me today are the two wild and crazy guys, Matt and Nate. How are you? Not bad. Fantastic. Yay. Nice that Matt is back. I definitely am this time. Work schedules get changed. I understand he was like really offended by the trolling of the week previous and he had to like take a week off because he was having some me time. I was so hurt. <laughs> you hurt my one feeling that I had, Nate, and never mind. No, you didn't. That would require a soul too. The one you have left? Yeah. Well, you got something. <laughs> that one that I have left is all full of words I can't use here. <laughs> mm, yes, we hear those pre-show, post-show, sometimes during the show and they get sliced out. But what did you do during the week that you were gone, Matt? Not a whole lot, unfortunately. So I don't really have a whole lot of stories or any of that fun stuff. The one thing I did do, though, I was able to squeeze in a little bit of a live stream on the GameSphere weekly live stream, though I did have to move two of them. That was annoying because, you know, work changes a lot of stuff. This past stream, we ended up playing a game called Fire and Steel. Actually, surprisingly, Nate joined the stream for that one. All I'm going to say is dragons, World War II, and Nazis to fight as the dragon. It's a fun little game. It's like a $4 game. So it was an interesting time killer. You can blow through that game in probably an hour. I streamed for an hour of it and you literally think I had three levels left to beat. So it's a really short game. At three to five bucks, who's going to complain? Because it's meant for multiple playthroughs. That was the one thing I did do. So at least make sure join every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern for a GameSphere live stream that I do on the uh, main channel for Destination Linux and enjoy the fun. There's currently a poll up for the coming up gaming session for this week that I will be doing next week. That's kind of the way I want to interact with the community and stuff. They get to decide. I can show that I'm just a better gamer than Ryan and Michael. Note to self, go edit the poll and add among us. I mean, oops, did that slip out? Luckily, one of the polls you can't <laughs> edit. Maybe. I enjoyed watching you play the game. It was more fun making comments and trying to get a rise out of you. That was probably my favorite part of the stream. It was actually a neat looking game. It doesn't seem like the game mechanics are all that difficult. It's just fly around and light things on fire. I'm a little concerned about how a Charizard can breathe that much napalm. That's crazy go nuts. <laughs> Nate, see, you just went, and last time you went Pokemon hunting, you just went and didn't find the right ones because you were looking for a Snorlax. I went and found the infinite spewing fire Charizard, so you know, <laughs> I went. Good job. Good job, man. You won. None of that made any sense to me, but I'm glad you all figured it out. <laughs> it didn't make sense to me either. I was lost in the conversation too, and I was part of it. Nate, you're always lost in the conversation, and for those that want the inside joke that me and Nate are referring to is when he went for an extended leave for a little bit of mud around, like episode probably what 50 nate give or take somewhere in that neighborhood it was a uh, late summer 2020 yeah nate went on a safari for pokemon hunting yep. so go listen to those episodes and you'll find it we hear from nate in there he pops in talks to us a bit yeah i couldn't just be away and not have something nate-ish to say so i did that yes yes you did speaking of things that you've done nate what are some of the things you've been up to and done well i'm very excited to say 
I did another video. This time, it's running OpenSUSE on the Pi 400, kind of the first half of the beginner's guide, kind of cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs with the Pi 400. The idea is I want to be able to see if I can do everything that you can do in Raspberry Pi OS, but instead run it on my favorite Linux distribution, OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. Rather than do the entire book at once, I decided to break it down like into two videos, at least two videos. Doing the first half, which is just setting it up and running Sketch 3 and Thawney, leave the physical programming for the next video that I'll do in a few weeks. The video is doing better than most of my videos. So if you look at the numbers and you see that it's the numbers are kind of pathetic, that's how most of my videos go. But it was fun to do. I really enjoyed it. I themed it around the idea of how well does it open SUSE? Then I answered the question at the end. So if you want to see how well it open SUSEs, check out the video. It was fun to do. And I hope to do more videos of the same kind of feel. I guess. You've had the Pi 400 for a little while now. What's your overall feeling for it hardware-wise? It's pretty peppy. It's a little bit peppier than the Pi 4. They did some things to like, improve the thermals on it. It only has 4 gig of RAM. The keyboard is pretty decent, and it's nice to have this all-in-one package. Kind of reminds me of the cool computers of the 80s, like the Commodore 64 or even the Apple IIc or IIe, that era. It kind of harkens back to that time. The area where I say it's not so great is if you actually do physical programming, it's kind of hard to get, it's not impossible, but the jumper wires on the pins properly is a little bit less fun because you have to pick up the keyboard device, pick up Pi 400 and look in the back of it. So I'm going to demonstrate on my next video how I get around that problem and actually make it much more enjoyable to program using the Pi 400 with a very inexpensive little device to break out the pins a little bit easier. Awesome. It's an all-in-one computer that the fact that you simply are going to try OpenSUSE does not surprise me because you have OpenSUSE installed on a Commodore 64 imposter. So like it doesn't surprise me. Me. Well, it shouldn't surprise you. I think you can see there's a pattern in my life and it's hard to break this pattern, especially when you enjoy it so much. Oh, so, oh no, I'm going to be good. I'm not going to be that mean. Really? Are you? <laughs> Are you now? It's this stuff that'll get in the after show. I am actually going to be nice. That one's kind of hitting below the belt. I don't like doing that too much. Too much. Um, I don't care. They're cast iron, so it doesn't matter. Okay. So Wendy, I know that you have tied in fitness with Linux in different ways, but now you've got a project you're following that ties another health aspect with open source. Yeah, and this is actually brought to my attention by somebody else. So my son needed to see another medical professional and it had nothing to do with the day-to-day -day doctor stuff, but she was looking at her watch, got a notification, and she had one of those pumps on her arms for diabetes. And in the time that he was going through some other testing and stuff that he needed to do, we had a chance to kind of stop and visit. And she was telling me about when she'd been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So that is the type where your body isn't making insulin. You don't have that function anymore. And so she has her pump there and she's got an app on her phone that is reading the information that comes from her pump. Then through this open source software that she is using along with the pump and the application, it will automatically administer insulin when she needs it. And I had no idea that this thing was even out there. I started doing some research. She didn't say exactly which one she used, but I started doing some research here and trying to figure out like what open source 
software is out there for people with diabetes that is so cool that these things are there. She said, now this one, of course, it isn't FDA approved to have this app do the automatic adjusting. She said that one of the downsides of it is you do have to not necessarily write it yourself, but there is some hands-on tweaking and stuff that needs to be done to make it work. But for her, it's absolutely been a life changer. So as I was looking through it, I came across one that I think might be the one that she's using. It seemed to be the one that was not only most up to date as far as just looking at their website, but the website looks super, super clean. It has information for healthcare professionals. So if they're wanting to suggest it to their patients and the like, I found it so cool that the open source community is doing stuff like this. I just had to bring it to the forefront, say something to the community, whether some of you are knowing about this project and using it, I would love to hear from you and how this project helps, how you use it in your day-to-day life, how it works on a day-to-day basis, what do you have to do to make it work? And for those of you out here who don't know about projects like this, it might be something to look into. I'm not a healthcare professional. I just found it super awesome. And I know for sure that it is helping one person live a much better life with type 1 diabetes. I'm looking at the site now and it's interesting they chose to use a BSD2 or MIT license. I mean, it's fine. It's a permissive license, but I wonder if that means that they don't get as much contribution back to the code base. I just want, I don't know, but it's really cool that open source is moving into the healthcare sector. I think in many ways, this would be the best thing that could happen for healthcare is open sourcing as much of that as possible. Absolutely. Especially where technologies like this can get so extremely expensive. And for her, with her pump, it has to be replaced on a fairly regular basis. All of those costs add up. And if you can have newer and better technologies that allow people to live their better lives, and in most cases, these are coded by people that are dealing with these conditions so they know what it's like to have them. And not only are you growing a community around this piece of software, you're growing a community around a common interest, a common life hurdle that now they can also share their experiences with. I hope that this happens more inside the medical community. I'd love to see different applications like this with different conditions and open source being able to step in and help make life better for everyone around. There's a lot to be said for allowing more people to understand different processes. So in this case with insulin dosing, the more they know and understand the technology that's keeping them alive, I think the better all around. That's a really cool project. And I'm really glad you shared this. It's so inspiring to see that this is happening. I love that you brought that up because from what she was telling me about it, it sounds like it has given her a lot of freedom and a better understanding of what she's going through and what her body needs every single day. The open source community is absolutely awesome. Once again, I'm inspired by the things they do, the things they come up with, and all of the stuff out there that I don't know about yet. Very positive for the future, that's for sure. This episode of Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so that you and your team can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. 
DigitalOcean also provides you with predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. DigitalOcean helps teams regardless of size, whether you're a team of one or a team of 1,000 people. DigitalOcean helps your team grow with their simple, powerful cloud computing services. As a listener of Linux Out Loud and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's even better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you sign up using do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So get started with that free $100 credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform. Go to do.co slash tux2022. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. While I am not currently an OpenSUSE user myself, I do love to hang around with a group of OpenSUSE users. Last night, we were having some conversations talking about different things, and the AUR for Arch got brought up, specifically it being used in Manjaro. And then I just happened to pick up my phone at just the right time and saw a comment on the Matrix chat talking about how, while yes... Arch has the AUR as this third-party repo. Fedora has copper. And it got me thinking about how we really point out the AUR with its positives and its faults, but it's not the only distribution that has third-party repos. Unate used the third-party repos for OpenSUSE and have had really, really good luck with them. What are the two that you see? What's the positives and negatives about those? For software that doesn't pass the legal muster by SUSE, anything that is in that category is shunted over into something called Pac-Man. Nothing to do with the Pac-Man that's related to Arch not even spelled the same, but it's where things like different codecs or software that has questionable legality lives. Then there's also the various repositories. They're like PPAs, but not really, but can relate them to that on the open build service. Now what's neat about the open build services, because it has the open QA that's attached to it, someone can host their repository, whatever their software on the open build service and use all the tools that the OpenSUSE project provides and will build and test those applications and distribute them for multiple different distributions. So you could actually build packages for Fedora and Debian and Ubuntu and so forth. There, I add a few specific repositories like KDE Extras. It's stuff that's not really part of the official repository, but they are built and tested, but just not as rigorously. And that's it. That's a separate repository. And there's a few other like community repositories, like some more obscure software that I run as well. Now, the neat thing is because it's all in the open build service, rebuilds are triggered automatically for Tumbleweed and for new versions of Leap or whatever, those have to be purposefully done. But it's nice to have updated software all the time in OpenSUSE using the open build service. It's part of the reason why Tumbleweed actually rolls so well is because of that. Have you ever had a situation where things break because you're pulling things from Pac-Man or the open build service, or do they work so seamlessly within OpenSUSE that it's almost like you're pulling from the official repo? Uh, Yes to both. Things have broken, but that was largely my fault where I wanted to test something specific. Just using the Pac-Man repository, things haven't broken because of that. I have had issues where Pac-Man hadn't updated some packages yet. And so I was given a warning to go to the newer packages. You'd have to switch repositories to the official OpenSUSE repository. And I have done that before. 
but it hasn't really broken anything. It's just an annoying interactive thing that says, hey, problem here. I do appreciate that Zipper warns you before it performs the installation because you may not want to change repositories and you can set some flags so it never changes repositories. And so it automatically just default to keep obsolete or whatever. If I follow and I read like what's going on to stay safe, if I always say just keep the obsolete packages, I've never had a system break. That seems to be a really good way to do that. Matt, I know that you've used all kinds of different distributions, including Ubuntu and PPAs. I've used PPAs myself. Have you had any issues with PPAs? What do you think are the positives and negatives of that system? <laughs> PPAs, uh, personal package archives. When people whine and complain about the AUR and they're on Ubuntu or Ubuntu-based distros, you just happen to mention the fact that, well, you kind of do the same every time you add a PPA, because every time you pull down a package build from the AUR, essentially, it's a different repository. You just don't add it like you do on Ubuntu. That's literally like the low-man, low-hanging definition of the entire system. For me, the PPA stuff, it's annoying to add them. They can break. Like one of the things I was testing for Ubuntu Budgie as an example, and I was using the new gaming feature that they added in the uh, Budgie welcome screen because it's a new beta release at the time. Granted, it's still currently, I guess, beta because it doesn't come out to April, but the 2204 LTS was the base for it. But a lot of the packages that are available don't have 2204. You would get a security error saying, well, this doesn't have, you know, jammy in the PPA title in release stuff. So for security reasons, we're not going to install it. So then you have a broken 404 package, essentially. And then you can't update your system so that you have to go in and unclick. If you do the software management through the GUI, you have to go in and unclick all the stuff that's broken, but then you have to remember which one's broken. It's not fun <laughs> when stuff doesn't work. It's not the greatest system. I wish there was a better way as it releases specifically to PPAs to not necessarily break. It doesn't break the system, but it breaks it. So like when you go to update apt, you can't update apt because apt is like, there's a bunch of errors. Please fix these, which I understand why they do that. But <laughs> on the same note, what usually happens is somebody will go, you know, sudo apt install and they'll force the install. Okay, now you're just going to have a bunch of half packages installed and potentially a broken system. I've seen it both ways. PPAs can be perfectly fine. For stuff that's an official project site. So if you're using something for like Krita and you're using the official PPA for more of the bleeding edge, if you're on an LTS, granted, some of that is mitigated now by things like snaps and flat packs and app images and all the other stuff. So to me, the point of a lot of, I don't want to say third-party repositories, but the way packaging as a whole is kind of different, especially like on the application layer anyway. The base system doesn't really matter as much, but I've had systems brick because, oh, hey, I want to install core control as an example. It pulls down a lot of new stuff like Mesa and all the other stuff. And if you're on an LTS and it's pulling in all these core components, but are for an LTS, they're not tested on, you're probably going to have a broken system. <laughs> potentially. And the AUR, well, AUR is great. Just be careful what you install. It's like any other system. The more cruft you add to it, the more potential breaking points you have. And it doesn't matter the OS, doesn't matter 
if it's Linux, Windows, Mac OS, Android, no, I can't say iOS unless you jailbreak. But overall, any third-party repository system can break anything. Just be careful and understand that these are outside the officials, so they're called third-party for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. And I have broken many systems, not only computer systems, but phones, messing with things, installing stuff that I shouldn't. And some of that's a learning process. I do have the advantage of I know how to fix it. Yeah, sometimes it can be a panic mode. I've had the moment where it's a 11 o'clock at night. I can't sleep. So I'm messing with my phone. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> you just bricked it. So if you want to have a working phone tonight, you need to spend the time reflashing the ROM and getting things set back up. I don't really recommend doing that, but I have done that in the past. I have also messed up a system that was running Plasma because I didn't understand just how vital VLC was to the system overall. And so I'd went ahead and uninstalled it because I was having issues with it. It made me mad. I didn't want it anymore. And I had uninstalled VLC and oh, wow, look at that. We're not coming to a desktop anymore. Being able to to add, remove packages, tweak that stuff in the back end, I feel is a lot the same way of adding third-party packages. If you go digging, removing, and adding stuff that isn't necessarily official or you may not know just how important it is to the system, things can break and tweak. But at the same time, it's part of the reason why I fell in love with Linux in the first place. Because I have the ability to break it, I have the freedom to use my system the way I want to. Sometimes I mess that up and I fully own that. And other times it's this fantastic learning experience and everything works great. I have never had an issue with stuff from the AUR. And I have been running Manjaro now for two, coming up on like two and a half years and not had an issue. But I don't pull a lot from the AUR in general. There are a couple of things I've talked about in the past that I do pull a specific chunk of the AMD graphics drivers. And the biggest reason why I do that is because I need OpenCL to work in Darktable. Now, what does that mean for anybody who doesn't use Darktable? Basically, it helps my graphics card do a lot of the work in that image processing that otherwise the CPU would be doing. And so it's really, really important when you're working with larger images, you're adding multiple layers, all kinds of tweaking, having the CPU and the GPU working together is really, really nice and a lot gentler on your CPU in general. Now, I have talked to Neil, anybody who listens to the shows on the network, especially if you join Destination Linux when it is live, knows about our good buddy Neil. He has talked to me about how they are trying to make that work in OpenSUSE, and I do need to get a spare drive and test it out because I really want to see if that does work. I don't dislike OpenSUSE, but I've been a fan of Manjaro partially because of the AUR and my ability to get OpenCL working in a snap. Install a package and I'm good to go. Can turn that feature on in Darktable. Absolutely love it. But I am worried about a potential issue coming up from an update because of all of the packages I installed from the AUR dealing with 
OpenVR. I would have much preferred not having to install those packages in order to get it to work. And maybe there's a different way I could have tweaked it in not having to install those packages. But if you remember me talking about it at the time, we had bought this used and I just wanted to make sure before I closed the sale that we actually had a working device so I was doing anything I possibly could to get it working. Now the downside is this is on my main system. If it crashes, if it goes down, it's going to happen at the worst time possible. Oh, kind of like yesterday when I got home and the power was out and I still had the show to edit. Yeah, not so much fun. That's when the computer's going to go down. One of those times like that. That's always when it goes down. Exactly. I'm cautious knowing that that's potentially an issue. When I first came to Linux, I was using different Fedora systems and like OpenSUSE, there were certain packages that you just couldn't get from the official repos because of that legal licensing stuff. And so I remember after Corora was gone, installing RPM Fusion using Copper in order to get some of the additional packages I need that weren't in those official repos. Have either one of you had experience with those? When you say packages, I mean like multimedia packages, I mean, there are some that are not in the official repo of OpenSUSE that I wish were. And I know they're actually working on, I should say, Red Hat Legal has made some more of the Codex okay to have bundled in now. Apparently some of the legality has changed or something, something has changed there. SUSE's attitude is, well, if Red Hat says it's okay, then it's okay for us. So some things have been loosened up on the OpenSUSE side as well. It may be things like Pac-Man may become less important core functionality. I know what you mean as far as like the core functionality stuff. I know I've had to install certain things from the AUR from a distro perspective of legal questionability, given what they do, like codex and that kind of stuff as far as, well, this isn't cleared and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, yeah, I kind of need it for my system to play a media file as an example. I don't find me pulling in as much stuff from third-party repos as I once would have for core functionality in a system anymore. Lib, DVD, CSS, and all those other kind of things. There's still some obnoxious workarounds that you kind of got to deal with. But the nice thing is some of the programs that require that stuff at least from the official repositories, will kind of gently nudge you to pulling those in as optional updates, which is always a nice thing, at least when it comes to like certain applications within um, Pac-Man and that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, hey, by the way, you might want to install these two. Oh, okay. Oh, it's an AUR. Oh, okay, whatever. You know, so for me, that's fine. But I definitely have seen less issues in core functionality being needed in third-party repos as much as there used to be at one point. Maybe people aren't using some of these third-party repos as much where you have app images, flat packs, and snaps. I haven't had super good luck with snaps in the past, and I'm sure some of that's changed but I've tried to use like a snap of GIMP and then had trouble printing or something else going wrong because the way that it's containerized inside the system. And so I've kind of shied away from some of those. I still use Etcher as an app image and it integrates really, really nice into the system. So I haven't had to pull that from anywhere else. But for the most part, snaps and flat packs just haven't been a good fit for me. I've always had some kind of hiccup inside my workflow that makes them a no-go. There's some that I probably should try again because it has really been a long time since I've used these options. So then I resort to the third-party packages where it'll integrate with the system as though I pulled it from the official repos, usually. I know what you mean by the snaps and flat pack. 
Some of those just don't integrate well into your desktop environment, either visually or some permissions thing. With snaps, I have periodic issues where like the font just kind of goes crazy mm -hmm. and you can't read anything. It's all boxes. And so you have to do like this clear out some font cache thing. Been a problem for years. I hope they can get that addressed. Not an issue with all applications, but then Flatpak has an issue where sometimes you have to install FlatSeal to change the permissions so you can actually use it like you would like to use it. Yeah, the app permission integration into the containerized apps for the most part is still a sore subject to say the least. I know for me, I've had issues with like Snap all of a sudden saying, oh, hey, look, you don't have NVENC installed yet. I just used you like two days ago and you were perfectly fine. I guess not. It's weird how the containerized stuff can work. I know external hard drives and, you know, SSDs and all that kind of stuff with Snaps has been an issue for me in the past. Flatpak. I haven't really had much in the way of issues with Flatpak other than some again, permission stuff. Ironically, I want to make this part clear though. When we talk snaps and flat packs and app images and third-party repos, yes, we understand these are third-party sources, but the way that they are built is different than what the way we are talking about the native third-party repos being handled by the system. Probably want to make that clarification. But I've definitely had issues like you've mentioned, Wendy, with both snaps and flat packs. Honestly, I tend to be more of an app image person just because while I understand they have deficiencies like lack of auto updating and you know menu integration which Nate and the folks at Linux Saloon obviously talked about app image launcher which is a fantastic project by the way so for me I'm more of an app image guy they just give me less headaches it's literally the equivalent of a DMG or a MSI EXE without the installation process because it's literally just right click on it tell it to make it executable and install there you go problem solved and that's probably why I've had the least issues with app images in general because on the system that I'm using, that app image launcher, it's already integrated. And so I actually didn't realize that it was at first another application that was installed on top of it to make app images more integrated into the system. I thought it was something that KDE had done until it was pointed out to me, nope, that's not a KDE thing. That is app image launcher that is helping to integrate that into the system. And I love the fact that I can hit super key, do the search for Etcher just like I would any other application in the system once it's installed. So even though this isn't Linux Saloon, I do have to give mad praise to that one because it does make using app images so nice. I would go so far as to say that app image launcher makes app images first-class citizens in the desktop. Yes. And I know people are sometimes a little bit less than excited about app images for some of them are very valid reasons, I think. But I think it's such a nice, clean way to distribute applications that's easy for an end user to just get on and use. Yeah. Sometimes they have integration issues too. But overall, the experience is really good. I understand the security concerns about app images. Like if someone could create a really bad app image and you could run it, it wouldn't damage the whole system could damage the data on your, your user folder or whatever else. But nonetheless, app images are great because you can very easily synchronize them to other systems. It's really quite beautiful, honestly. I think that can be said though for any of these package options that are community-based where they aren't being audited by the distribution itself, you can run into situations where these different packages can cause problems. There was one time where there was an application found in the snap store now they took care of it really really fast it got cleaned up and out of there but any one of these places where the community can add applications
situations, there are going to be bad eggs. There are going to be people trying to slip in stuff to damage your system to collect your data. So that's one of the things in knowing if you're going to use options like this, you have to be careful about which ones you're using and where you're getting them from. And while we know not everyone is a coder, I'm sure there is another community member out there where you could ask if you're trying to look for an option and being careful about it to say, hey, I need this. I can't get it in the official repos. Does anybody know the best place to get it? I have to say a great source for asking questions like that is the Destination Linux Forum, the Discourse Forum. Absolutely. Because I've asked questions about specific pieces of software in the past. Like, I want to be able to do this thing. And I was given a great set of options to go through and find the one that best suited me. And that's a huge thing about Linux. I think it's not just the technology, although that is a huge piece of it, obviously, but it's also the community that supports that technology and engages with that technology. Everyone knows a little slice of Linux or of the open source world, and they can help guide you in where they are the expert. And that's something I super appreciate and helps keep my system safe from making bad decisions. Yep. That's what I appreciate about the community. And that's an inside joke for anybody who watches Letterkenny. This episode of Linux LR is brought to you by Bitwarden. One thing we can do to protect ourselves is having unique passwords for every online account that we have. I've been using Bitwarden for a while now to do just that. It not only helps me keep track of the many passwords I now have, it includes a random password generator, you can set the length of special characters, and so much more. But here at its open source, receives third-party security auditing, and you can get started for free by going to bitwarden.com DLN. Want some of their premium features like one gigabyte of file storage, vault health reports, or just support the project? It starts for only $10 a year. Jump over to bitwarden.com DLN to get started with your free account now. We missed out on the game of the week last week. What do you have for us this week? Tell me. It's got to be more than one. We were betting on it being more than one game. Well, it's actually six games. (laughs) Whoa, way more than we guessed. Totally redeemed yourself. Six games that even, (laughs) Nate, you will buy these. I can guarantee you will buy these. Well, actually, I looked ahead on the notes and I already bought it because of this. So you got me. Again. So anybody who grew up in the 90s... Such an enabler. I don't know what you're talking about. Anybody who grew up in the 90s world, <laughs> there was a block out for after school. It was at least on the East Coast. It was about 3 to 5 p.m. It was the Disney afternoon. You had things like DuckTales and Darkwing Duck and uh, Tailspin, Chippendale, Rescue Rangers. and Chippendale! <laughs> All those video games that came out back on the Genesis and the Super Nintendo are all in one collection. I saw this and I was like, this is so worth getting. I've been good on games. These are ones that even I buy because I'm like nostalgia 100%, but they're fun as heck too. If I can get Nate to buy games, I'll leave it at You got me to buy it. They're all 2D (laughs) side-scrolling adventure games, but they're fun. They're nostalgia. Um, They do have some updates to them. Some of the graphics have been updated. Some of the things have been tweaked and stuff. So obviously they run on newer systems as far as computers. I enjoy them. I still go back and play them. This is also the around the same time games like Aladdin and The Lion King, all those other kind of games came out that just 
they're really fun to play. Even now, the simplicity in the design is something that I can totally appreciate. Uh, sometimes modern games just feel overdone. Yeah, I agree. In my way, harking back to a time where it's just like, okay, I go from point A to point B and I have to, you know, hop, skip, jump, or however to get to the next point. And that's it. And I can appreciate that. And the fact, childhood, total nostalgia trip, and I'm totally going to own that. But for $5 as it's currently sitting as of this recording on Steam, definitely worth getting. I had to go down this nostalgia trip too. And so while I didn't buy it before we recording it, I do own this game now. And guess what I'll be playing when we're done. You're welcome, Wendy. Thank you. I'm actually so excited. I can't express like the giddiness that I have to go play some Tailspin yeah. and DuckTales and Rescue Rangers. Mostly the Rescue Rangers part. I annoy my children with cartoon songs of the 90s. Like I am a thousand percent into this <laughs> my kids recently got in a ducktales binge they discovered ducktales and watched all the original on disney plus and loved it and then they moved on to the new ducktales it's funny because like these cartoons are actually so good they hold up today like i watch these things today and they're still funny they're still good you know some cartoons from the 80s do not hold up but the right. disney afternoon absolutely does I didn't play DuckTales 2 or any of the Rescue Rangers games or Tailspin, but the first DuckTales game and Darkwing Duck, I did play those a little bit, I think, on the Nintendo Entertainment System. So I'm looking forward to giving this a spin, especially on my Steam Deck that I don't quite have yet. But soon, I'm told, you too, this year, I cannot wait to be playing that, sitting on the recliner in the living room, telling everyone to do their chores while I have fun. I cannot wait. There was only one of the Disney afternoon that just I couldn't watch again, and that was Darkwing Duck. Now, as a kid, I didn't realize how full of horrible dad jokes that show is, and I sat down to watch it with the kids, and I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I feel like Michael's in the room with me. <laughs> That's actually why I enjoyed it so much, is I was laughing, I'm like, oh, I gotta write that one down, oh, I gotta write that one down, that's a good one. <laughs> we now know where Michael got his habit for bad dad jokes. Yeah, Darkwing Duck. Darkwing Duck. Let's get dangerous. Oh... <laughs> Darkwing Duck. Yeah. <laughs> that... <laughs> I know. I've got the song stuck in my head right now. Uh, oh, my when gosh. When there's trouble, you can call DW. I'm the quackiest cracker in the darkest of night or you know, some stupid yes. thing that he would yes. do. <laughs> and you're just like, that makes absolutely no sense. Exactly. It's just dumb all over and you laugh. I am the lit that is stuck on the lit trap of fighting crime or whatever. Yeah, something like, like that, yeah. I totally blame Michael and Nate for that game recommendation, by the way. I wish I knew about it to recommend this game, but I didn't. I'm so glad for today. You have no idea. But he saw it and thought of you and Michael. <laughs> yes, I did. Totally. That almost touches my heart if I had one. Well, good thing you don't. <laughs> While I'm looking at closed source things like games and all the other stuff, you're looking at something very different on the opposite end of the spectrum, which is open source. Yeah, I'm kind of sticking with the same theme from the beginning of the show, and that is open source in medical. Now, we are looking into hearing aids for one of the children, and since she was telling me about this open source ability for her type 2 diabetes and controlling her pump and seeing where all of her numbers are, I was really really curious to see if there was one of these options when it came to hearing aids. Now, I did find some things that were more on the open source side of trying to figure out how to get them to work. Like here's a programming board that you can use for open hearing aids, but I hadn't found anything that was 
ready to go and would be useful for the applications that we need it to be for. So this is one of the things that I wanted to throw out to the community. I already shared it on my Mastodon. So if you follow me there, you've already seen this question. But of our listeners, have you seen anything with the open hearing aid platform? Have you tried it? Does it help? What are the things that it needs? Because if this is something that I can get involved in, we can do our best to help out with answering questions, helping with tweaking, I absolutely would love to. Now, the first pair that we buy probably won't have or be part of the open platform. It's one of those things that I'd like to get done for him as soon as possible. But from what I found out, a hearing aid purchase isn't a one and done, especially when you're dealing with children. They need to be replaced. Three to five years is what I looked at as far as numbers go. So it's something that we're going to have to do again. It's something that's going to be happening throughout the life of the child. And so if we can have one set that's working really good that we know works and be able to maybe play with some of that technology at home and find an open source option that works well and definitely won't cost as much as what other hearing aids do. I'm thrown out to you, community. This is something new that I'm walking into. This is a new research bubble that it's time to dive into, figure it out. Those of you who have been in this, who see it, I would love to have your feedback on. I like the idea of open source anything, especially anything medical. You know, the idea of an open source hearing aids. Now that's interesting. I'm not sure what exactly like additional functions I'd want to have. Like I can't think of any offhand except maybe controlling volume possibly, or maybe tracking in the usage of it perhaps. I don't like the idea of usage tracking going to somebody else's computer, but maybe going to my own. Definitely adjusting the volume is one for sure of being able to keep track of where your batteries are because now most hearing aids have nice rechargeable batteries that go on a charger every night instead of the ones where you have to constantly change out those teeny tiny hard to get in batteries, hard to get in and out little round batteries. They need to be able to filter out background noise. So for this particular child, if there's a lot of stuff going around in a room, it's not that they can't hear what's happening. It's that there's just so much going on that that audio isn't being processed in a way that it's understood. The hearing aids that we're currently looking at kind of help dampen that background noise, bring forward the conversation with the people immediately around them, and they'll be able to hear what's going on. One of the other things that these hearing aids can do Besides having really cool Bluetooth features, so now you don't have to take out your hearing aids to listen to your music or answer phone calls, but you can have additional mics or attachments. So if they're in a classroom situation, they can have their hearing aids in, the teacher has a little piece that they're wearing on their shirt, and as they're talking, no matter where they are in the room or the noise that's going on in the room, the children can understand what's going on and be an active participant in the learning. The doctor that we were talking to said that one of the kids that she's helped He's a basketball player and on the court, he cannot hear a single thing that the coach is saying. There's just too much noise going on and is unable to process what the coach is saying as they're on the court. But with these hearing aids and this additional attachment, he's able to play as a functioning member of the team and hear what the coach is saying in the directions that they're giving. Oh, no, that's super cool. Yeah, there is so much more to hearing aids than there was in the days of my great grandparents. I hang around with my great grandparents a lot 
lot growing up as a kid. They had hearing aids, but theirs was just a simple raise the volume so they could hear what's going on. Now, hearing aids have gotten a lot more complicated. There's been great advancements in them. And so I am all for these advancements in hearing aids. I would love to see what we could do to make this an open source option as well. I didn't even think about it. But yeah, I mean, things like pulse effects and the neat things you can do to make the sound better. I know there's much better stuff out there than pulse effects or easy effects, but adding some of those features and being able to dynamically change them based on your situation. Yeah, I can see the light now and that is super cool. I hope an open hearing aid platform does become the future of hearing aids. Me too. Definitely. If you're in this realm, if you have any information, I am ready to absorb it. I want to know everything you've got to say about it, even if it's not necessarily related to the open hearing aid platform themselves, just your life and dealing with them, especially if you had them as a kid. All of that stuff is great info for a mom to have. It's time to jump back into gaming. Matt had something for us. This Disney Afternoon Collection isn't the only game you've purchased recently. What's the other new one you got coming, Nate? It's a game that is not released yet. I'm sure it'll work just fine on Linux and it really doesn't matter. I'm sure I'll find a way to make it work. But it's the Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. So it's all the Lego games from 2005 and since that are Star Wars related all wrapped up into one. Now, I was pressured by my oldest to buy this. Okay, he didn't really pressure me. He says, hey, dad, this is coming out. Are you interested? And I said, yeah. So I ordered it, the deluxe edition, so I could get some extra characters, I guess, or whatever. And I'm very excited. It's coming April 5th, 2022. And this will be the first game I have ever purchased before it was released. I want to make sure Matt heard that because he always rags on me for not buying anything that's so new. Arguably, you could say that this is kind of old as well, but it is new. I cannot wait to play it on that Steam Deck. Do know, Nate, I would rag on you for your game choices regardless, <laughs> for the most part. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what I choose. I will give you props because I'm assuming this is what, like, what, nine Lego games in one, if I remember correctly? Basically, yeah, it's all of them. I will give you props. The fact that it only took your kid doesn't mention it and you pre-ordered it. I'm starting to get you into more modern games. Well, I'm not going to give you credit for that, but you can take the credit. <laughs> well, if it has anything to do with Star Wars, I don't know if you're a Trekkie too, but yes. Star Wars. Star Trek C64 and apparently a Disney afternoon you've got night hooked on whatever game you're talking about (laughs) pretty much if it harkens back to something of my childhood it's basically a shoe win now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topics hit the discourse form drop us a line under this video or on the contact form by visiting dlnextend.com slash contact if you would like to hang out with us on our preferred social media i do drop things on mastodon every now and then see the links in the bottom of the show description find other great shows like hardware addicts gamesphere linux saloon and so much more at destinationlinux.network say you want to show off your love for your favorite podcast we don't have anything up for Linux Out Loud yet, but there is awesome things for many of the shows, like the gamer-centric I paused my game to be her shirt. I still need to get myself a Hardware Addicts desk mat. It needs to be coming very soon. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of Linux Out Loud. Until then, keep the banter friendly, the conversation uh, somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. (laughs) 